0: Psalm 39, please. As you're turning there, thank you for that. I so appreciate the worship team and how they help us to be ready to receive truth from His Word. I'm just so thankful for that, but also to be able in the meantime to help us sing truth. And uh, as you've been going through your week this week, I hope that this will be a, a particular psalm, like really everything in Scripture, is to give us a holy perspective of things because we're surrounded 167 other hours by uh, so many other things that are trying to vie for our attention. But I'm hoping that at this time that you will, as you look at what Scripture has to say that you will use this as an opportunity to see what God has for you and the perspective that God intends for you to be able to have as you're dealing with those other 160, uh, uh, those other 167 hours of the week. So let's, um, let's stand together as we read his holy and perfect word. Again, Psalm 39. To the choir master, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Verse 1. I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and dim no more. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So again, thank you so much for praying for us as we ventured back east, so we went to Kentucky, stopped on the way in uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, and a beautiful little town where the University of Kansas is, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. For some of you out there, you're welcome. And then uh, we end up landing in Shelbyville. And so for the first uh, couple of days that we were there, uh, after cutting my mother-in-law's grass and the, the fatigue from driving, that's what I thought. COVID. That's what I thought it was. That what turned out to be COVID, and I uh, just couldn't shake it. And I'm like, I know I'm getting older, but I'm not getting that much older, but here, here we were, and I was spending a lot of that time quarantined, but we also spent a lot of time in the car, and we have, I don't know if any of you use Spotify, but Spotify allows you to develop a playlist of all sorts of songs, and uh, our, well, maybe I should say our, my preferences are some of the older classics and some of the standards and such. And one of the songs that came up was Billy Joel. And for some of you, you're like, Billy Joel's not that old. This was in 1978. That was almost 50 years ago. I'm telling myself this. But there is a song called Just the Way You Are, and there's a line in there that says, I just want someone that I can talk to, right? I just want someone that I can talk to. I want you just the way you are. And then another song came up by uh, the legendary Jim Croce. Some of you may know who he is. And it was talking about an operator, or he was trying to get an operator through a payphone. Some of you may not remember what payphones are. And you can keep the dime is one of the lines that's in there. But uh, one, of the, one of the lines was in there. He was just basically trying to get a hold of someone that he used to date. And he was having trouble being able to do that. And then we um, came along a little clip from the West Wing, which some of you, I've invoked the West Wing every so often. And there was, toward the end of their run, there was this journalist named Danny Concanon who was talking to a love interest of his, CJ, and they could just never quite get together. There would just be things that were going on. Finally, finally, they were about to, uh, to, to do that. They were about to finally start that on again, off again, or commence the um, relationship that was on again, off again. And when they were trying to have a, just a brief conversation, Danny Kincannon, he wrote this. He's like, I want you to do what you want to do. Take the job at the White House. Don't take the job at the White House. I just want you to talk to me about it. I just want us to talk about what it means and how we'll make it work. I just want us to talk like we're going to figure it out together. I want us to talk because I like the sound of your voice. I just want to talk. They don't write shows like that anymore, by the way. It's just, it's just, it's just beautifully done. But as you're, as you're reading through this, um, reading through Psalm 39, and I always encourage you to try to read through the passages. That's why I go in order. So you're, you have an idea of what's coming up next. But part of it too is, is that you're able to read up what's next because I think it helps you to be able to listen better, more attentively, be more engaged if you already have already gone through the passage, even if it's just reading through it once. But one of the things that you're noticing here is that there's something going on with David. And he's writing this to Jeduthun, which is one of the temple musicians that was there. And so this was, a, this was something that was intended to be sung because this is something that so many Christians go through. They have a godly grief that is welling up within them. Whether it's over sin or sadness or circumstances, there's something that is welling up within them. And they w- want to talk to someone. David wants to talk to someone. But what David is saying here is, got to be careful who I'm sharing this with. And so what David is doing is, he is showing the the one person that you know that knows you the best, and no, it's not your spouse, no, it's not your kids, no, it's not your mom and dad, because there's always little pockets of you that they don't have access to that they don't know about. You may be able to finish each other's sentences, but you don't know every single thought, every single feeling that is going on in someone that you love. But there is one who does. And that is why I pulled, shocking from a hymn, I pulled a, a, a line from a hymn um, where, as far as the sermon is, con- is concerned, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now, there are people that you will, over time, realize that you'll be able to talk to. We'll get that to that in a second. But know this, you are never alone in that godly grief and those godly issues that you are going through when he says, I will be with you to the end of the age, at the end of the Great Commission. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. When he says, "Jesus is, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you get those promises, and I think the the biggest promise, or at least the most frequent promise in all the Bible is a is a promise that was distilled over and over to Moses when he was at the burning bush. I'll be with you. 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 You're never alone. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that applies. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then I want you to know that he you have access to him through the cross and the empty tomb. But we can come to him as followers of Jesus as his children, and be able to be heard and to get a holy perspective about things, which we will talk about in just a moment but let 's let 's hear this hit this first part, and verses one to three number one is is talking about this. Take heed how you handle your inner agony. Take heed how you handle your inner inner agony. I may have actually um, indicated something over the years I may have indicated something over the years that may not have been. All that helpful to you, you know how when people come up to you and you ask you how you're doing, and what do I say? I say you're lying by saying. Some, sometimes you're lying by saying you're fine. You need, and I say, you know, you need to be honest. I want to retract that a bit because you can't be honest with everybody, can you? Because some people will not have that trust, not have the discernment of whether to know whether to listen or whether to jump in. I mean, remember, if you read at the beginning of Job, Job's friends were fantastic when he was going through all of that stuff. They were fantastic when they just shut their mouths and they just listened. Where they got into trouble from Job 3 to 37, 35 chapters, they ended up getting in trouble because they were trying to figure out what was going on with Job. They were trying to pontificate. Well, it's this. You're in sin. You've done this. You've done that. Just, just repent and everything will be fine. And Job's like, I have and I'm still going through this. Sometimes we just don't have access to everything. And then what happens is people take what you're saying about your godly grief and what's going on. And not only will you risk sinning with your mouth about these things. But someone can take that. I mean, just go, get on social media. When people are vulnerable and honest on social media, and they just take that, and they twist it, and they contort it, and they make not only, um, they make not only conclusions about who you are, but they also make conclusions about who God is. And we've got to be really careful. So this is why in verse 1, David is like, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. Look look at this. You see it? So long as the wicked are present. So you've got to be careful who you share your godly grief with so you don't sin with your mouth. But you also don't, don't help other people come to wrong conclusions about things. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there were some things that were welling up in David that just have to get out. Jeremiah was like that in Jeremiah 20, where he said that this, this fire was in my bones and I couldn't hold it in because Jeremiah, no converts, nobody, well, two converts actually, but there was just, every time he preached the word, something bad happened. He's like, I'm done. I'm done. But a fire was welling up in his bones and he had to preach come what may. And so you look at this, and he's like, I was mute, and I was silent. Verse 2, I held my peace to no avail. This is not working. And my desires grew worse. It wasn't getting better by staying silent. Things were starting to crank up even more. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. And the rest of this is him speaking With his tongue, Spurgeon said, "Perhaps he feared that if he began to talk at all, he would be sure to speak amiss, and therefore he totally abstained. It was an easy, safe, and effectual way to avoid sinning, if it did not involve the neglect of duty to which he owed God to speak well of His name." So we have to be careful what where we share our inner. There are people we can trust, and Mom and Dad, when when. You know, I used to like having a lot of people that were kind of around me, but mom and dad told me, he's like, if you have one or two really good friends that you can tell something to, that is gold. And you know, over time, I found that. Because, because in especially in churches like ours where there's a lot of transients, people come and go, come and go, come and go, come and go. And you can tell if they're still good friends if they stay in touch after they're gone. Um, and I have people, thankfully, that are like that. I have been surprised at those who have not been like that. I'll be completely honest with you. And I am. so you begin to be, as you get older, you get to be more grateful for those friendships that you have. That's why coming to church like this and developing those godly relationships is critical in being able to travel through this world. Secondly, when we look at this, you have to make sure not only take heed about how you handled the inner agony, but also, number two, ask God to give you His perspective. We are surrounded by people that bloviate and pontificate on so many things about how the world's running, how the world should run, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, and and everybody is just peppering us with advice. They can pepper away all they want. All I know is there is one whose, whose advice, whose news, I know I can trust without fail, now, there may be others that give some really good advice, but it has to be through the lenses of what God has said in his word, not in ignorance of it and not an apathy of it, but in, co- in coordination with it. So look at verses 4 to 6. Again, Psalm 39, verses 4 to 6. Oh, Lord, make me know my end. And when they're talking about my end, please understand, he's talking about let me know my purpose. Let me know what is, is going on. Let me know, well, he'll go into it more and clarify. Let me know what my let me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths And if you're wondering what a hand breadth is, just put your hand out like that. I'm not asking you to do this, we're Baptists, right? So put your hand out like this, and it's from your thumb to your pinky. That's a hand Now I have very small hands. So that's, that's small. Some of you have a little larger hands. Um, but even then, the largest of hands is still in the great totality of the universe, small. That's the idea. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And then you see this word, Sela. Now what Sela is, is a pause. It's a meditation. And it's really good for us because some of you, when you, when you were growing up and watching some of these children's programs, All of these children's programs, just think like Sunday morning or Saturday morning cartoons, Bugs Bunny, blowing Yosemite Sam's face off, you know, the good old days, right? And so all of those scenes were going boom, 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 boom. Okay, now, any of you ever watched Mr. Rogers? Okay, Mr. Rogers, was Mr. Rogers boom, 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 boom? No, no, in fact, Mr. Rogers moves slow as you go. And I think that's why kids and parents, honestly, treasured him. Because what Mr. Rogers made kids and parents do was slow their roll down. And that's what we need to do. This is what a sila is. A sila is a meditation where you are stopping and thinking about what the word is saying in and through you. Then he goes on. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. So look at how. Our lives are a few hand breaths. My lifetime is nothing before you. Mere breath, shadow, nothing, turmoil. And all the stuff that I'm going to be doing and working on is very much like Ecclesiastes, which Ecclesiastes is basically a handbook for how to age gracefully and end well. It's a a manual for senior adults. It's already been written. It was written thousands of years ago. And what it's saying is is that everything that you're doing, what's going to happen is you're going to give it to somebody else right? Again, I want to invoke that New Yorker cartoon where the where the, the, the dad and the son are sitting are standing in front of this really full garage all the way up to the edge. Someday, son, this will all be yours. Boy, that sounds great, doesn't it? We were doing a little bit of that when I was going back to, to Kentucky. Again, mom's 85, dad's 88. We're, you know, son, are you going to get these baseball cards out of here? We've been holding on to them for 30 years. Sure, dad. Yeah, we'll do that. But you're, but David was praying for God to remind him how short life is. Now, if you're in your teenage years and you see the average age of how long people live, you think, man, I have got 65, 70, 75 years left. You get into my age, 50, be 51 in a couple of months. Okay. Now we're getting to a point where there's more in the rear view mirror than there is out the windshield. I've talked to some of you who are in your eighties and I'm telling you, you are chomping at the bit. Hey, God, anytime, anytime you're, you're ready. You are so ready that it's like some, for some of you, you may wake up and you're like, Oh man right? Just that one day it'll happen. One day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be there. But here's the thing. What he's saying is, let me know how fleeting my days are and help me to make them count in the meantime. I I don't want to waste. John Piper, back in the late 1990s, early 2000s, he preached a, a sermon about don't waste your life. It was turned into a book and what he said was, some of you, because when you retire, you think that the goal of retirement is so you can go to the beach and count your seashells. That's a rotten way to think about the last chapter of your life. But he was also talking, and most of us that were hearing this were in our 20s or 30s or teenage, and it invoked an entire generation to make everything count to the glory of God. I've I've gotten some kickback a little bit feedback we'll put it feedback some constructive feedback on why do we start our service at ten thirty one, and I noticed that there was a problem with that because when you're on the east coast our services start at twelve thirty one okay to your point but the reason we do ten thirty one is to make you take that extra tick of thinking this whatever you first Corinthians ten thirty one. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. And what David here is saying here in this passage of scripture, he's like, I know that I'm nothing. I know that I'm a breath. I know my life is but a shadow. But while I'm here, I want to count the cost. I want to make it count. I don't want any day to be wasted for the cause of life and the cause of Christ. Billy Graham, when he was at Southern Seminary back in 1982, and at the time, 1982—that was a while ago, 40 years ago—he was 64 years old, and he said that the the question that people asked him the most was, "What is the thing that, what is the one lesson you want to tell other people?" He's like remind, be reminded of the brevity of life, be reminded of how quick life goes by. Psalm 90, verse 12, teach me to measure my days. We've sung about that earlier. S- James four thirteen to 16, I read that a little bit earlier to set us up for this passage today. Our life is a mist and a vapor. You, somebody, uh, my predecessor who was a pastor here, my, well, that would make sense, right? My predecessor, the former pastor here, you can tell I didn't work that out preparing that one. So anyway. It happens. But some things just jut across my mind. And and people used to have, uh, you know, take umbrage with how he would start a sermon. And we'll just say Jim Smith. Jim Smith is dead. Now, some people didn't mind that because it was true. Others had a problem with it because it was just too stark. Right? Because we don't use that. We say passed away. He got his wings, which he don't, people don't turn into angels. Don't say that. Um, but there, but we 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 want to say other things to take away from the starkness of it. And what David is saying here is, God, I am calling you Yahweh, the I am that I am, the holy and eternal one. I'm not holy. I'm not eternal. And so show me your perspective on what's going on here. And what is happening? The perspective here is, I am going to die one day. So up until that point, I need to make it count for you. And so, when we get to this third part here, stay hopeful in the pain of your life and his discipline. Stay hopeful. Verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is not in my life. My hope is not in what I've called to do. Some of you, you may be having faith. Hear me. You may be having faith in your faith. Christopher Reeve. But he ended up going through his terrible ordeal. He was the one that played Superman. And he ended up going through his terrible ordeal. He kept talking about faith. Well, I just have faith that things are going to be okay. Because when you have faith, faith means that things are going to work out and you believe things are going to work out. But, you know, faith has an object. And when Christopher Reed was talking like that, his faith, the object of his faith was his faith. His faith. And so some of you, you may be saying, well, I'm having a hard time right now because I don't feel like that I'm I'm really good with God right now. I don't feel it. I don't feel it. Listen, we've heard this over and over, right? Your feelings are not facts. Your feelings are not truth. That's why we have this, to anchor us to the truth. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. What has he done for you? And when you realize what he has done for you, then the object of your faith gets away from you. You know, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. The object of your faith now becomes him. And when you, the object of your faith is anchored in him, then everything that comes across you will be based upon and garnered by the filter of he, who he is and what he has done. My hope is in you. And so as as such, verse 8, deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me, for I am... Spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. And there you see our friend again, Selah, that meditation. God seeks to consume in you that which does not belong in you. And so when you're, you're seeing here, and listen, we have to make sure that how we view God is based upon what God has revealed about himself. So we may look at this and you say, Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth. So if you're coming in here and you have a certain thing of God that God would not ever do anything like to you, He's just really a, a glorified Santa Claus on steroids, and and then you, that's that's what you think about Him. Well, He wouldn't do anything to you like that. Yes, He would, just like any father would discipline his child to provide and to protect from you, protect you from yourself and your sin keep in mind god's not our equal he is our father he is our king he is our lord and if we are his children we because we have received his son jesus christ then what he will do is out of love for us he will discipline us i want to remind you of hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 to 11 my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the lord disciplines the one he loves And chastises every son from whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For a moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Um, some of you are um, Andy Griffith show scholars. And as you, you may have watched one, and uh, now I always remembered Buddy Ebsen from uh, Beverly Hillbillies, but he actually played another character on there. And it was just a guy that was coming through town. And he basically was just kind of living by his own wits, which means there were things that he was doing that was a little bit uh, illegal. And he was known as David Brown on this character. And uh, he was influencing Opie, uh, the sheriff's son, a little bit. If you're not Andy Griffith Scholars, I promise there's a payoff soon. Just hang in there. But it, so they're having this conversation because he Andy was seeing how his son was starting to get swayed by this man. So Buddy Epson's character, David Brown, he said, well, Sheriff, maybe I do look at things differently than other people. Is that wrong? I live by my wits. I'm not above abending the law now and then to keep clothes on my back or food in my stomach. I live the kind of life that other people would just love to live if they only had the courage. Who's to say that boy would be happier your way or mine? Why not let him decide? Oh, you're, you're knowing where this is going, don't you? Because you know Andy Taylor, right? But, But Andy's like, and I am... See, I, I hear this in my head. I am not going to try to recreate how he says this, but if you, you'll hear it. He's like, no, nah, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You, can let a decide for you can't let a youngin' decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. The wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince him that other things might be better in the long run. And all a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away a word here. Um, there are just certain sections of our country and in certain sections of our, of our culture that are, that are going after our kids in a way that kids are thinking that they may be wanting to go this particular way or identify one way or whatever. And well, if that's what you want to do, And yet, here we are, we don't let um, children, our kids vote until they're 18, we don't let them drink until they're 21, and yet we want them and believe that they can make life-altering decisions. It's really not about the kids at all, it's about the adults that want to be at the cool kids' table. And we have got to make sure that, yeah, Andy Griffith, I know, black and white. It's really set in the 30s, not in the 50s. I get it, it's North Carolina and some people just dismiss that, but there's wisdom in what's being said here. And we have to make sure that we realize that there's something that's going on inside us and there's going to come a time when it's going to be like, this is not, this is not working. And 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 it builds up, builds up, builds up. We try to talk to somebody, ah, you're crazy. Talk to somebody else, whoa, that's a little too much. You try to talk to somebody else, they just walk away. But there is one that you can talk to. And what he is doing is working in you. And yes, it's gonna be hard. And that agitation is working in you to where you're like, I can't take this anymore. But this could be very well God working in you to get something out of you that does not belong in you. He loves you enough to do that. Yes, it's painful in the process. It's painful in the process. But in the meantime, we have to make sure that we are leaning in and learning from what he's telling us. We have one more. Number four, God can handle your honesty. And I want to add just a little hyphen there. Don't worry about it upstairs. I'm, I'm just going to add a little hyphen here. Can you handle his So you look at verses 12 and 13 after the meditation, hear my prayer, O Lord, that there's a prayer, and then it begins to amplify, give ear to my cry, so we'll go from prayer to cry, hold not your peace of my tears, then it's, so this is how vexed David is, he's had enough, he can't take any more. He's like, I'm a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. We're guests here. Again, this world is not my home, right? We, we are guests here, just like all the generations that have gone before us. Pass through. Starting point, ending point. Pass through. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Now, please understand that there are certain things in Scripture that are descriptive and certain things that are prescriptive. This is, this is David describing the disciplining work of the Lord, and he's just saying, can I have a little relief here? And what God is going to come along and say is, you'll get relief when I am finished my work in you. And God is at work in you. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. God loves you enough not to leave you where you are. Now, some of you, you may just walk away from it. Some of you, you may just be apathetic to it. Some of you may just try to, to grind it out. But some of you, you know, the, one of the reasons why we have these troubles is we read our Bibles. And when you read your Bible, you begin to see that where you are and where God would have you, that there may be a chasm, a gulf. And so we don't may not like to read the Bible. The Bible makes me feel bad about myself. No, the Bible has your good in mind. You have a short amount of time here on earth. Let's make it count for the glory of God and seek him with all that you have so that you can have his holy perspective. But you can be honest with God. God, I'm really struggling with how you're handling things around here. But if, if you want God to be honest with you, if you want to be honest rather, yeah, if you want to be honest with God, Can you handle from his word him being honest with you? And if you can, then you're going to be all right. But if you're going to ignore what he's saying, then there will be trouble. It may not feel like it now, but there will be trouble for you. And all of us worry uh, to a greater or lesser degree, knowing that one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to have to give an account for our sins. The question is, are we going to have one who has already paid for our sins on our behalf? Or are we going to try and gut it out on our own? Let me tell you, that second option is not going to go. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means heaven's not going to wait. But we're not going to have a fellowship with the Lord even here and now. David's being honest. But David also wants to hear from God and ask God to be honest with him. What needs to change in me? My life's just a short breath. It's just a hand breath, but we need to move, and we need to say, God, what do you have for me? So we were going the, the, the few times that I was actually a little bit upright um, on my vacation, um, and I wasn't sure who said it because it was like a, a, somebody was wearing this shirt. And it was really big letters and it was like a really tiny little, you know, about right here where uh, the who, who said it. And, you know, it's not really good to be looking. What's going What's What's that? You know, you don't want to do that to people. So but I, I saw what the big letters were and the big message. Be the change that you want to see. And that's a piece of what this is. Because sometimes people are so waiting for something to happen to them and for somebody to do something for them that they wait. Be that change. It ended up being Gandhi, but, you know, Gandhi stole it. He stole it from Jesus. Do unto others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you're sitting there waiting for someone to do something to you, no, 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 you're wasting your time. You're wasting your. Life. Be that person that God has called you to be, me- and ask Him to measure your days. Ask Him this week. Ask Him, Lord, what have you been, t- or what are you trying to show me that in my thick skull is I'm not getting? And break those walls down and show me what I need to start doing. I don't know how much time I have left. None of us do, but I want to make it count. Show me the end of my days. Show me how to make it count. And thank you, Lord, for when there's something that's welling up in me that I can't tell anybody else because of what Christ did, opening up the throne of grace where we can approach him with confidence, have mercy and help in our time of need. You've done that for me. I've got one person in the universe that I can talk to. Thank you for not leaving me alone. That's what Jesus will do. Jesus will give you not just just his word. Jesus gives you himself himself you're never alone. And some of you, you're struggling right now, but I hope that this is a morning where you see, yeah, my life's fleeting. Here today, gone tomorrow. But even with that, Christ will make all of it count. I don't have to waste my life. I don't have to wait for somebody to do something to me. I'll go do it to them. I can, I can make sure that I am following what you've called me to do and to make my life count for you. Is that where you're at? May not. It's not just about prophets. It's not about prophets. It's about bringing glory to him in everything we do, say, and think. And through Christ, we can do that. Heavenly Father, help us in the days ahead that as we take everything to to you in prayer, that we also would count our days, that we would measure our days. Help us, Lord, use us for all that you've called us to do that we would not waste one minute of our lives, that you would call us, as you've called us rather, that we would respond by your strength and for your glory and for the good of those that are around us, help us to be that person that you've called us to be, and not expect someone else to follow through with that. Help us to be that person. Use us, Lord, for your glory and for the good of those that are around us. Again, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So we we sing a hymn that has been um, a a treasure for us as a body of believers for many, many decades. And it's a song that's called, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought. And we love singing truth here. And I pray that as you see this, that you would ask God, Lord, I'm tired of trying to lead my own life. My life's too short for me to be wasting my energy that way. I want to follow you with the days that you have given me to make it all count. Let's stand together and come to Christ if we need to and and recommit our, our ourselves to Christ if he's calling us to do that let's stand together mm-hmm.